uh, reading from Ephesians chapter 5 and a little bit through there and also some from verse 6. So starting at chapter 5 verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord and down to verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because they belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will live a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Thanks, Wayne. Good morning again, everybody. We're going to spend some time talking about family this morning. I thought it would be an important thing to do on such a great day as today, Dedication Sunday. We're going to specifically be thinking about what pleases the Lord. As Paul's instructions in Ephesians 5 verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Wow. Imagine our world. Imagine your life with with a commitment to that. Many of you are already on that journey, but perhaps you haven't yet begun that journey. Uh, I want to encourage you. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. When we think of family and just thinking about this morning, and even hearing someone crying right now, um, it's the truth that family bring us both the deepest pain and the highest joy as well, don't you? know, families are often this mixed bag. And uh, we, so we, I'm aware that um, even the content this morning is, is slightly fraught with emotion for people. So I want to tell you to... Try to relax, be at peace, and ask the Lord to show you the things that he wants you to take hold of this morning. Parents can wound children. 
We wound our children. Sometimes we do that. Well, most of the times we do it unintentionally. A small percentage of parents, unfortunately, do it intentionally. But also children can wound parents as well. And again, sometimes that's deliberate because, and sometimes it's unintentional. I remember when when Julie and I were new parents, uh, which is 30 odd years ago, by, by the way. I know we don't look that old, but you just have to trust me, it was 30 odd years ago. Um, and, and since that, since we became parents, and even at the time, there were there were some people in our peer group, as they were becoming p- parents, there was this chatter about uh, we don't want to mess our kids up so that they end up in counselling. Maybe you've had similar thoughts. And uh, I, what uh, I just want to take the pressure off you to say, it's inevitable. Not necessarily because of what you've done or not done to them, but because we all are messed up. We all need to reorient ourselves to God's way and in doing that there's a process of formation that happens in that. But if you're a parent and you set out with the resolute determination that I'm going to raise my child so that they never need counselling. See, what you do is you use yourself as a template. You use your experience and you so you say, I'm going to make sure certain things don't happen to them. Now, look, there can be some wisdom in that, and particularly if you are one of the people who was uh, abused as a child. Clearly, we don't want to visit abuse on our children but there's a whole lot of other things that we can't and so sometimes this drive I've seen in parents it actually becomes a recipe for grief because the harder they try the more they constrict their child which causes grief which causes need for counseling and all those kind of things that they're actually trying to avoid and a parent who has a goal of trying to protect their child ends up stunting their emotional maturity and weakening their child a much higher goal is what i want to give you this morning and this is goal to find out what pleases the lord and do that find out what pleases the lord and do that set set yourself as a parent to find out what pleases the lord to work out how does god want us to do family and let's do that let's aim at that rather than aiming at at not something it's always better to aim at a positive direction than than aim to avoid a negative direction, if that makes any sense at all. Because what our mind is focused on is the direction we will inadvertently, by default, drift towards. So if we're focused on not being something, that's actually the movement that our mind will drift. That's part of our design, which why the scriptures is so clear encouraging us and stirring us up to say fix your mind on God fix your mind on the things around the throne room of God find out what pleases the Lord and set your gaze there 
Set it high above. And this is what Paul is saying. And our families are very important context for making disciples of Jesus. If you as a parent are a disciple of Jesus, your family is such a vital context for disciple making. Don't underestimate that. And I know that some of you sitting here already, you're probably feeling weighed down by how much you're aware of your failures. I want to encourage you this morning, lift your gaze up, acknowledge, yep, I've fallen short, but God, you're greater than my shortcomings. I'll lift my gaze up. I'll set my heart again to pursue you. I'll go after you and I'll do all that I can to bring my children up to be your disciples, to encourage and strengthen them. If you've got your Bibles open to Ephesians 5, and I hope you do, let's look at verse 10, 15, and 17, because this sets a context of what Paul is unpacking. Verse 10, he says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Then he says in verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Just a caveat in this to say that Foolishness from a biblical perspective is someone who lacks pursuit of the wisdom of God. It doesn't mean you aren't an intelligent human being. It just means from a biblical perspective, the wise are the ones who are pursuing the knowledge of God, who are investing themselves in the study of finding out what God wants. If you are failing to find out what God wants from a biblical perspective, you're a fool. So the Bible saying, don't live like a fool. Live like someone who's wise. Don't act thoughtlessly, verse 17. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. So these three verses, 10, 15 and 17, really set the course. It frames everything that Paul's about to unpack. As he comes back to this reality, determine what pleases the Lord. Learn God's wisdom. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. And even as I'm speaking to this, and I'm not just speaking to parents, I'm speaking to teenagers, I'm speaking to young adults this morning. It's the same for all of us. It's like we have to find out what pleases the Lord, what the Lord wants us to do. So here's some things that Paul unpacks that please the Lord. It's a short list. Number one, verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18. Not getting drunk. Pleases the Lord. You want to find out what pleases the Lord, number one, don't get drunk. It wrecks your life. It's pretty simple. Like, how many problems would, be, would our world not have if everybody actually just did that bit? What about that, hey? How much damage is done through drunkenness? Paul's like, don't be drunk. You're the people of God. That's not what you do. You want to be filled with something? Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's number two on my list. Sing to the Lord is number three. Give thanks to the Lord is number four on my list. If you're making your list, you might want to join along. These are all all just coming straight out of Paul's letter here. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Sing to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit every morning when you wake up, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh today. Help me sing to you today. Help me give thanks to you today. God, I bless you today that I woke up. I thank you, God, that I've woken from the sleep of death into a new day where you are ready for me. Thank you, God, that I got out of bed by myself. Except if you're a small child who should not be out of bed at that time. 
certain times of the morning. Anyway, that's a different, that's a different conversation. So giving thanks to the Lord. Okay, here's some other things that please the Lord. Number five on my list, verse 21. Submitting to one another honours the Lord. I'm going to unpack some of these in a bit more detail. I'm just going to quickly go through this list. So if you think of this as submitting to one another that honours Christ, that's like a banner headline. And then Paul's going to put, he's got some dot points under that. Number one, wives submit to your husband as you do to the Lord. Number two, husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. Number three, children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. So again, the banner headline is submitting to one another that honours Christ. And under that, wives, husbands and children. And then under that, you've got fathers disciplining and instructing your children, not in anger, but in ways the Lord approves. This is 6 verse 4, chapter 6 verse 4. So they're the things that please the Lord. So you will go, find out what pleases the Lord, those things. Now look, those words roll off the tongue really easily. Actually doing them is much more difficult. We sang a song uh, in the opening set about firm foundation, my life being built on the firm foundation, which is, which is coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. And the firm foundation is actually not believing in Jesus, Believing in Jesus isn't a firm foundation. Demons believe in Jesus. Non-Christians believe in Jesus. That's not the firm foundation. The firm foundation is obeying Jesus. That's when our life gets built on the rock. It's obedience that builds our life on the rock so that when the floods come, the winds and the waves all beat against us, it's the, our obedience that anchors us to the rock who is Christ and we're able to stand in that day. So let's make a few comments about submission. This is, a, this is one of these things where it's kind of like a minefield to talk about submission. It's fraught with all sorts of things. And so I could explode up here this morning. I don't know. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll step into it because we've got to step into it. We can't avoid it. We can't kind of go, well, we don't know what to do with that. So we'll just put it over there and avoid it. We have to deal with it. So first of all, let's understand something of the cultural context in which Paul is speaking to. When he's speaking about submission, he is bringing something that doesn't exist in the culture of the, of the city of Ephesus. He's bringing it from the realm of heaven, this idea of mutual submission to one another. Now, one of the ways that you can think, it's important to think about this, is the submission of Jesus the Son to the Father. The Father, Son and Spirit in the Scriptures, the triune God, one God manifests as three ways, each are the same as the other. The, the Son submits to the Father. Does that mean that the Son is less than the Father? No. It's a voluntary submission to a higher purpose because it's the father's will that jesus is submitted to that they've mutually agreed to so this idea of mutual submission do not think of it as some kind of hierarchical staggering thing 
That would be to misapply what Paul is saying. You need to think Trinitarianism. The submission between the Father, the Son and the Spirit, that dance of submission where each honours and glorifies the other, puts the other on display, delights to display one another, they enjoy one another. It's that delightful thing. So, into the context of Ephesus, where husbands, now get this, men, you'll hate this idea, the cultural context of that time that Paul was writing into, and it is still the cultural context in, in places in the world, and there are people that bring this cultural context into this into Australia and there are people that unfortunately bring this cultural thinking into the church that's wrong but the cultural context that Paul is speaking to is that husbands had absolute authority over their wives and their children absolute they had absolute authority over them a wife wives because polygamy was common and children were the man's property to do with as he wanted. Any man that's sitting in this room this morning that's got that kind of mindset going on, I encourage you to say, you need to say, Jesus, deliver me of this. Deliver me of this. This ungodly lie that somehow women and children are my property to do with as I please. In that time... A newborn baby could be killed or abandoned if the father did not officially receive them. So a woman give birth to a child. If the father did not want the child, he would not acknowledge it, he would not receive it, and it would be put out on the rubbish tip. That's the culture. And sadly, we still have that culture today. We call it by different names, but it's the same reality. Babies can be killed or abandoned. So what Paul is doing, what God is doing through Paul is Paul's letter. He is actually elevating the status of women and children to have an equal value with the men, with the husband, with the father. And if you look carefully at the passage, you'll see that the bulk of the, the, bulk of the instructions and the responsibility, not just in Ephesians, but in Paul's other letters and in many other places through the scripture, the bulk of the responsibility falls to us as men. To be men who are submitted to the Father, who walk in fellowship with the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, who are being transformed inwardly, whose minds are being conformed to think like Jesus and treat women and children the way Jesus does. So what Paul is speaking about here is this, this voluntary mutual submission to Christ and one another in a household. He's speaking about the, the fact that there should be a mutual love, mutual respect, mutual honour in the household. That's what's being held up for anyone who says, I belong to Christ. That's what we should be looking for. Sadly, we often fall short, and we need, but we should never give up. Give up that going, Jesus, make me more like you. Jesus, if you're, I'm speaking to the men here, I'm speaking to husbands. You don't give up. 
You don't go, well, that's it. I'm a trashy husband. I'm a trashy father or whatever. All that. Don't give up. No, you go, hey, Jesus, I desperately need you to, to transform me to be like you. That's the cry of our hearts. So when we speak of this, so then when Paul goes on and he's speaking about these boundaries, what we're about to see, he puts boundaries around mutual submission in case people run away. Because what, what happens, or run amuck is the better way to say it, because when people have a newfound freedom because they've got this new status, they've got equality, like a woman who's been crushed by a man and discovers that she has a freedom in Christ to think for herself, she might likely run amok with that. Or a child goes, well, there are certain boundaries. So I'm going to to head off. So then this Paul begins to unpack this. And this is really important because what he's doing is putting boundaries around this. This liberating responsibility of mutual submission in the household. So that we don't abuse our freedom and destroy the reputation of Christ. You see, this is this thing. If we come back to this, this principle. Find out what pleases the Lord. Because our tendency is to go, oh, I think it means this. And we'll run off in a, in a direction it won't be. We've got to be anchored in the word of God. Find out what pleases God. What does this look like? So here, Paul says, wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. So I want to put a couple more very important qualifiers here. I want to say, number one, this instruction is to a wife. It is not to a husband. Submission is is voluntary, not forced or demanded. That's so important, everybody. As a husband, I cannot demand my wife submit to me. As much as I've wanted to, it's always been a futile exercise, so I abandoned it many years ago. It has to be voluntary. And I found that as I pursued becoming a husband like Christ, the mutual and voluntary submission followed it. So number one, this is voluntary, not forced or demanded. And number two, it's God-honoring submission. Because I've had conversations with, with women and they go, well, what, you know, my husband might want, he'll, if I have to submit to him, but he'll ask me to do shonky stuff. No. God-honoring submission, see, it's submission that honors the Lord. So a wife does not obey a husband's request to do anything that dishonors the Lord. That's the way it works, right? You still maintain a posture of submission, but you're under no obligation to obey a husband that's asking you to do something that's going to dishonor Christ. No way. That's not what Paul's advocating. I've read accounts where men used it in that way. That's not the honour of Christ. So it's very important to understand that that, that it is to, the context again is I find out what pleases the Lord. And Paul brings this all to a conclusion, if you like, 
in verse 33 of chapter 5 when he talks about this reality of wives respecting their husbands. And so we want to bring into that place. It's like, wives, this is what you want to do. It's that mutual submission under Christ for the glory of Christ. And you bring respect for your husband. You speak respect to his face. You speak respect in front of your children. You speak respect when you're chatting with your girlfriends over coffee. There is a big problem sometimes with the way that wives speak disrespectfully about their husbands with other women. And it sometimes works the other way as well with husbands. But right now we're talking about wives. But we're about to talk about husbands. So... So the wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are to love their wife just as Christ loved the church. Well, that's nothing more to be said there. Guys, you got that? Nailed it. I said earlier that the bulk of biblical instructions are for husbands. It is. If you actually like look at the amount of verses that are given to husbands and the amount of verses that are given to wives, far more are given to men, not just in this passage, but in other passages, just as I said. So, so here in a culture that told husbands how to rule their wives rather than love their wives, this is such a spin-your-head message, right? Because the message from the culture is, husbands, this is how you rule your wives. And Paul is speaking to the church and saying, husbands, this is how you love your wife. Oh, wow. Talk about countercultural. So into that mix, he says, Husbands, you love like Christ when you work to make your wife holy and clean, cleansing her with the scriptures. With the washing of the word is what it talks, is the, some of the language, some of the translations you use. So in other words, it's this, this washing of the word, which... I've equated to reading the scriptures over your wife. Now, again, you think of it from a cultural perspective, the culture that Paul is writing and speaking into. Girls weren't educated. Girls didn't learn to read. Women didn't know how to read. So it wouldn't matter if you gave her a copy of the Bible. She wouldn't be able to read it. She never learned to read. So a husband sitting patiently reading the word of God over his wife and explaining it to her is powerful. Now, just because I'm speaking, so now you go, well, my wife can read. Why do I need to read the Bible to her? I don't know. But what if you just did that? Read the Bible over your wife. As she falls asleep at night, as she wakes up in the morning. I don't know when you want to do it, but you, but it's this thing. There's something of the reading and the soaking of scripture. When a husband reads the scriptures over his wife, when a husband prays for his wife, there's something that happens. I'm just saying God does something because the way he set it up. And rather than trying to explain it away and reason why we shouldn't do it, perhaps we should just get on board with God's plan and do it. And see what happens. So a husband, we are, and again, you see, Christ is the example. So we think about what did Christ do? Christ, 
gave his life, he died so that his bride could become, could be born and could be grow up and become all that he created her to be as an equally yoked partner for his purposes. So again, we've got this, this staggering picture of this is what marriage is meant to be. It's meant to be of a husband helping his wife and wife mutually submitting to her husband and a husband helping his wife to become all that she can be in Christ. And this is not a one-way street. So ladies, don't you be sitting there thinking, hey, mate, I'm going to have a good chat to the bloke when we get home today. I'm going to be saying, hey, Bo, you need to lift your game in this, right? Because this is all voluntary as well. A wife can't, can't run, just as a husband can't run around and demand his wife submit to him, a wife, a Christian wife cannot run around and demand that he love her. She can certainly encourage him and a husband can encourage both work. But it's, it's this mutual thing of, I want to, who has God created my wife to be and how do I, even while I work a full-time job and earn an income, how do I help her become who Christ created her to be? The gifts and the strengths that he put in her, how do I bring those up to the fore, up to the surface? And it's been a joy for me as a husband to invest myself and to create opportunities for my wife to grow and to flourish. And this church is so much better for that. For the ministry of my wife. There is is a richness in our church because of the ministry of my wife. Now men, there's a weight of responsibility that comes with this. With loving our wives as Christ loved the church. It's a huge challenge, it's a huge responsibility and it's an, I've come to see that it's such an important part of how God conforms men to be like Jesus. As we embrace this men, as we say, okay, Jesus, I don't know how to do this and there was a period in my life where every night I was going to sleep praying, Jesus, please teach me to love my wife as you love the church. Because I knew I was failing horribly at it. I said, Jesus, teach me. Teach me how to love my wife as you love your bride. Teach me how to give my life for her in the way that you gave your life for your bride. So husbands, this responsibility forms something in us that is not formed in any other way. And I'm glad to say that there are many Christian husbands in this church rising to this responsibility. There are many Christian husbands all across the world rising to this responsibility. But sadly, not all do. But this is still God's goal. Find out what pleases the Lord. This is God's view of marriage. And God says that marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. This is verse 32. Paul says, it's this great mystery. It's not, it's not that we don't know it. It's just that it's something that's only revealed in and through Christ. And so we should not be surprised, everybody, that um, non-believers 
and our government and our society don't understand Christian marriage. We ought not to be surprised about that because it's this mystery of Christ in the church. If you don't love Christ and you don't love the church, you will never understand the mystery of a Christian marriage, of how it's, what it's meant to do and to be. And so you will, you will think up all sorts of other definitions of marriage because this is a mystery of Christ and the church. It cannot be comprehended by people who are not following Christ. So children, you're next. You're to obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. It's as simple as that. You're to obey your parents. This is, parents love this. <laughs> parents are dreaming of this. Now, so it doesn't mean you can't ask questions. You can't ask qualifying statements. And there are some times as you grow mature that you kind of need to push the boundaries a little bit without rebelling in a way that causes destruction. You to find out how to honour your parent. Again, it's like find out what pleases the Lord. Okay, so I'm growing, I'm maturing, I need the boundary lines extended a little bit, but I've got to do this in a way that doesn't destroy a relationship with mum and dad. I've got to find out how to do this in pleases the Lord, so I've got to learn some communication skills, I've got to learn to push back against some things, but I've got to do it in a way that honours God. I can't just stand my, stamp my foot, slam the door, walk out. Amen. Come back to fathers now. Fathers are not to use anger to control their children, but disciple them in the instructions of the Lord. Oh, an angry dad, an angry Christian dad is an oxymoron. Fathers, don't be angry dads. Find out what pleases the Lord. Tame your anger. Discipline your children. Disciple them in the way, in the instructions of, of the Lord. So these are the boundaries that Paul puts around mutual submission in families so that we honour Christ, so that our family honours Christ. And I am in, and there are many in New Life that are doing this. And there's a beauty in families where this is seen. And I want to say, keep going, everybody. Keep going it. And if you're, real, you're sitting here this morning and you realise, hey, we've got some ground to make up, go, just go for it. Just start to do that. Just say, Holy Spirit, help us make up the ground. Help us do this. Help us get on board with this. The Holy Spirit wants to help you. You don't have to do this by yourself. So we've got to find out what pleases the Lord. But there are some other things that, we can, that Paul has got that um, are not, don't please the Lord. But they, these things and are, are beneficial. They would benefit everyone in our society. So uh, here's some things not to do for anyone who claims they're a disciple of Jesus, but they would work really well for people who aren't Christians as well. Number one, getting drunk. Don't do that. And we would also include getting high, all the, all the kinds of things. There's a range of things. I don't need to list them off for you. But it's this, that three. Number two. This pleases the Lord. Sorry, these are things that don't please the Lord. So, number one, getting drunk doesn't please the Lord. Number two, marrying someone who is not a disciple of Jesus does not please the Lord. 
There's clear instructions in the Bible about that. Number three, living together before marriage does not please the Lord. Number four, same-sex marriage is never affirmed in the Bible. Number five, sexual thoughts or seductive behavior. So things like lust, pornography, entertaining sexual fantasies about someone you are not married to. None of that pleases the Lord. In marriage, neglecting your wife or your husband does not please the Lord. Flirting sexting etc does not please the lord children disobeying their parents rebelling against their parents does not please the lord angry fathers wounding their children does not please the lord now i want to say a few things in a bit more detail about the culture in which we live because it is different but it's also got a lot of similarities to the culture that paul was writing in so number number thing number one thing i want to acknowledge it's important for us to recognize the influence we have today in our culture that we can trace the roots back to people like Charles Darwin and Sigmund Freud. We all live in a culture that's affected by the thoughts of those men that they wrote down and have been handed on and been developed by others. So first of all, we begin with the fact that neither of those men acknowledge the existence of God nor worshipped the God of the Bible they did not acknowledge that God exists their starting point was there is no God God doesn't exist that led Darwin to to say that humans are evolved animals and therefore should obey our animal instincts Freud said that sexual repression is the root of all mental illness if you hear anything about the sexual conversations in our culture, you are told that the suppression of sexual desire will causes you to be mentally unwell. That's Freudian. That's not biblical. It's very important that we understand these things. So for decades, these corrupted ideologies have been pervading our society influencing culture destroying families corrupting children and shaping government policy so we ought not to be surprised by where we're at today in some senses now there's multiple other influences that have their roots in these thoughts and other other lies and it begins with what Paul talks about in Romans 1 verses 18 and following when Paul says he describes the consequences when people refuse to worship God we don't have time to go into that passage today but Romans chapter 1 begin reading at verse 18 following you'll see what happens people who refuse to acknowledge God exists they refuse to worship God and therefore these things unfold all these things are unfolding as the scriptures say for decades, magazines, novels, movies, television shows and even school curriculum have been normalising things like meeting someone for the first time and having sex. Living together before marriage has been normalised. Um, and there's a whole lot more that's been normalised. Parents, we need to understand that we have to be discipling our children in the ways of God in manner of all this. And young adults, you have to be discipling yourself in this. You probably have never seen a television program or a movie where someone said, I want to wait until I'm married before I have sex with any single person on the planet and I'll only, be, I'll only have sexual intercourse with the person I marry. 
you probably haven't seen apart apart from the chosen if you watch the chosen but (laughs) amen Um, but in other words this is the normal this is the normalization of what's going on now culture has been programming another word for programming would be brainwashing you to think like this so every show you're watching it this is normal so you're going this is normal this is normal this is normal find out what pleases the lord paul talks about this in romans 12 verse 2 he says do not be conformed to the standards of the culture be transformed by the renewing of your mind second corinthians 10 verse 5 he says take captive every rebellious thought and teach it to obey christ this is so important because in other words you have to go Hang on, this idea of, oh, it's okay, we're Christians, we can live together. Hang on, where did that idea come from? Is that a biblical idea? No, it's not a biblical idea. I've got to take that captive and I've got to bring it to the foot of the cross with Christ. I've got to bring that thought into submission to Christ and say, no. The idea that I could perhaps, I have to find someone to marry. I could perhaps find a really nice non-Christian Where'd that thought come from? It doesn't come from the scriptures. So we could go through, we could unpack all these things, but you have to, you have to confront it. You go, where does that idea come from? Does it come from the Bible? I have to find out what pleases the Lord. So when we're thinking of these things, we want to be people who do not follow the culture. Culture can say what it wants. We line ourselves up with scripture. Our culture would be healthier if it lined itself up with Scripture, but it's determined not to do that. So here's a few things that the Bible says pleases the Lord, and I'm coming in for a landing for those of you who are worried about morning tea. Here's some things that pleases the Lord. Number one, dating someone who obeys everything Jesus commanded. That pleases the Lord. Marrying someone who obeys everything Jesus commanded. That pleases the Lord. Honouring God with your body, no sexting, dress, dressing immodestly, keeping sex exclusively for your wife or your husband, all these things, honour the Lord. Staying sober, pleases the Lord. Submitting to one another, that honours Christ, pleases the Lord. Wives submitting to their husbands as they submit to Christ. Husbands loving your wife as Christ loves the church. Children obeying their parents. Fathers controlling their anger, pleases the Lord. Now, We're going to change tack a little bit and this is to equip people and help people. You may know someone or you may be, because I don't know everyone in this room, who know you may have someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction or you might know someone who is. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction, I want to say you do not have to express that. You don't have to express that. The Lord will help you with that. And I want to recommend to you very highly this book that's on the screen right now, written by David Bennett. It's called A War of Loves. It's the unexpected story of a gay activist discovering Jesus. That title ought to be enough to get your attention. 
David's an Australian. He came out to his parents as gay when he was 14 and he entered Sydney's active gay community a few years later. In this book, A War of Loves, he shares his growing desire as a gay rights activist to see justice for the LGBTQI people. He also documents his journey through New Age religions and French existentialism and his university years as a postmodernist before Jesus Christ showed up in his life in a highly unexpected way, leading him down a path he never would have imagined or predicted. David believed he was disqualified from God's love until he encountered that love for himself in Jesus Christ. In his book, A War of Love, he recounts his dramatic story and he investigates what the Bible teaches about sexuality and he, above all, demonstrates the unqualified grace of God. This boy, this man, sorry, who, who was an activist in the community in Sydney, graduated this year with a PhD from Oxford University in Christian apologetics. Praise the Lord. You can find David's testimony on YouTube and you can follow him on Twitter. If you know someone struggling with same-sex attraction or you want to equip yourself as to how to dialogue with someone, I'd say this book is a must-read for you. Because it's not just David's story, but he then walks through the place that he came to where he describes himself now as a celibate, same-sex attracted Christian. And, that, and he carefully chose the words in that order. Celibate, same, he's still same-sex attracted, but he's celibate and he's Christian and following hard after Jesus. So we come back to finish with this. Find out what pleases the Lord. Paul says these words. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. As Julie and I were praying this morning at home, in preparation for this morning, and come to this time, I'm going to invite some response. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Please. The word that Elijah spoke on Mount Carmel came into my spirit as Julie and I were praying this morning. It's from 1 Kings 18:21. Elijah's standing there on Mount Carmel, and there's a battle taking place between him as the prophet of God and 450 prophets of Baal. And he speaks to the people and he says, Elijah says, how long will you waver hobbling between two opinions? I love that language. Waver hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, obey him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I just I sensed in my spirit that this is the word of the Lord for someone this morning, maybe for more than one person. I think it is. 
you're wavering between two opinions. You're wavering between the things that you've been programmed into you through, through images and all these kind of things, textbooks, in all, all range of things. And you're going, well, maybe God won't mind if I, if I compromise this little bit. The word of the Lord for you this morning, how long will you waver between two opinions? If you say the Lord is God, obey him. If you're in that place this morning where you're being tempted and you're wavering between, can you trust God? Can you follow him wholeheartedly? Can you trust him in all these things? Say, yes, you can. But the way you find out is by saying, Jesus, I'll obey you in everything. Now I invite you to pray that as your prayer of response to Jesus this morning. Say, Jesus, forgive me that I have been wavering between two opinions. I've been wavering between what you, what you say, what the scriptures say, and what our culture says, what the world says. And I've been trying to find a way to compromise. And I have compromised, but Jesus today Today I say, no more compromise. Today I'll say, I will obey you in everything. Wherever that road goes, I'll obey you in everything. I'll no longer waver. I'll trust you, Jesus. I'll trust you, Jesus.